professionals often have to be comfortable facilitating and being part of difficult conversations. Sometimes when you're faced with this situation, it helps to get another perspective. The D.H. Leonard Consulting's Grant Writer in Your Pocket service is just for that. When you need a grant professional's opinion, no contract needed, and the conversation can be as short or as long as it takes to address your questions. Learn more at dhleonardconsulting.com. But first, a little throwback. When you need assistance. Call D.H. Leonard Consulting. Then you've got a grant writer in your pocket. And grant awards can go ka-ching. Hey there, I'm Kimberly Hayes-Amuga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how-to, but we will also explore the whys of things, including poking the bear of inequity that roams the forest of philanthropy. (laughs) And as always, we're doing it every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our particular brand of entertainment, which has been known to include songs, Mm -hmm. cheesy sound effects, and the occasional y'all, because learning doesn't have to be boring. So let's get into today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, We create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Well, hey, friends. We're so very glad to have you back with us again today. Or if it's your first foray into the fundraising heyday world, we're so glad... We're so glappy. We're glad and happy all at once. It's It's a a new new word word and I'm here for it. I like it. We're so happy you've joined us. Um, A few quick reminders about upcoming events before we delve into our topic today. We mentioned this last episode, but tomorrow, March 4th, is National Grammar Day. Don't forget to get your grammar on. Um, Then one week later. (laughs) I just love working with you. You're so excited about National Grammar. Then one week later, Friday, March 11th, is an even bigger deal. Are you ready for it? It is International Grant Professionals Day. And yes, that's a real thing. You can learn all about it on the Grant Professional Association's website, which is grantprofessional.org, in case you don't know. Um, But IGPD, as it's known in its inner circles, it's a time to celebrate your hard work, at the very least, your boss should treat you to lunch or send flowers or better yet, give you the day off because you work so hard. Um, and if you really want to get in on all the social media fun that day, follow the hashtag IGPD and you can see all the love flowing. That's right. And Fundraising Hey Day is a proud partner of International Grand Professionals Day. If you're curious about the day, how it all started and how you can get more involved in participating we have a bonus episode that talks all about it because you got to love bonus episodes because the bonus. Yes, you do. 
And so you can find it on our website, which is fundraisingheydayhayday.com um, under the bonus episode tab, because what a better place for it to live. I just, I don't even know. Makes sense. Also, our sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting, along with Foundant Technologies, is hosting a hashtag learn grants from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, March the 11th. Learn Grants is hosted by the Grant Professionals Association, and you can register for this free training, free training at dhleonardconsulting.com. Yeah, it's a great way for you to hang out and spend a couple hours with grant professionals all across the country. So check it out. Um, but now it's time to get to the main event, While we, why we are here today. We're continuing an annual topic, which is focused on a specific sector of the grant profession. Last year, we spoke with TJ Hansel, who has years of experience writing and managing grants for tribal nations. So this year, we decided to focus on K-12 education. Yeah, because nothing at all has happened that would affect K through 12 education and funding in the last couple of years. It's oh, just no. really a boring area where nothing ever goes down. But <laughs> that is a lie. So who better to talk about this sector than our dear friend Olivia Smith Daugherty? And let me tell you why. She has worn many, many different hats in the field of education. She started out as a science teacher doing the Lord's work, teaching science to high school and middle school students, I believe. Bless her. Then she also, as if that weren't enough, she moved on to serve as a Title I coordinator and a 21st Century Community Learning Center Grant Program Coordinator at middle schools. And then she joined the Pasadena Independent School District, where she is today, and she has held many, many different roles of increasing responsibility, um, leading her to now be the Executive Director of Grants for the Pasadena Independent School District. She has Bachelor of Science in Biology, which kind of makes sense because of the whole teaching thing, and a Master of Education Administration from Lamar University. She earned her Grant Professional Certification, or GPC, designation in October 2013. She served two terms as president of the Grant Professionals Association Southeast Texas Chapter, and currently she's the vice chair for the Grant Professionals Foundation. So continuing in our history of having super lackluster underachievers. We know how to show. pick them. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> please, please uh, welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk K through 12. That's right. That's it's right. Now, uh, Kimberly mentioned that you're on the board of the Grant Professionals Foundation, and I would be doing the world a disservice if I didn't ask you about the wonderful website you all have for grant swag, where people should be going to buy things for International Grant Professionals Day, right? Tell us yeah. about that. So we have a website, Grant Pro Swag. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, and it has a lot of cool items on there um, from... I survive on word count and coffee to I'm silent, silently correcting your grammar mask and t-shirts, <laughs> even little stickers. Uh, I, I haven't made my purchase yet, but I need to because they have a pair of like black kind of sketcher looking tennis shoes that say got grants on them. And I need those in my life. Oh, yes. And I think there's a jacket to match. Oh, oh, Amanda. No. I know what you're going to be doing. So buy yes. a lot. 
Yeah. Buy a And the foundation, just a quick note, the, um, I know we've mentioned it before, but it is so worth saying again, the Grand Professionals Foundation actually um, raises money to provide for memberships and also conference scholarships to the Grant Professionals Association. So if you're just getting started or you work for a small to medium-sized nonprofit or a local government and they have frozen your professional development budget, these are things to think about. And if you're looking for a way to give back, then this is a great way to do it and forward the grants profession. Yes, thank you. And we would, if you have any questions, just go to the website, Grant Professional Foundation and .org, and you can find out more information. Awesome. Well, thanks for your service there. Yes. No problem. So let's start talking K-12. Um, like a lot of us grant professionals, you didn't start out by writing grants. You were a high school biology and chemistry teacher and then a program director and a grant manager. Um, before you got into your position now, which for those of you who don't know your Houston or your Texas geography, rather, Pasadena School District is near Houston. So mm -hmm. what skills or experience from your former jobs do you regularly call on or rely on in your grant development work today? I think one of the first things that comes to mind is organization, because you have to juggle a lot of balls and keep them all in the air. You can't drop one. And in order to do that, you have to have lots of systems in place to make sure um, that everything gets done. I am a little old school. I like my paper calendar. And it is something about that physical feeling of literally checking off the box. Uh, and it's like, yes, I got that done. <laughs> you're, you're with your people here today, Olivia. We <laughs> feel we are here for you and in, in your paperness. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm so glad to be in good company. Um, but I have to admit, I still use an electronic calendar. Sure. And so, um, you know, with my husband, you know, if it doesn't go on the calendar, then it just doesn't happen. And the worst thing about it is if it doesn't have a reminder alert, it really doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> just recently, I um, I was in the I was just in the zone, and something made me think I have a meeting today, and I looked on my calendar and it was like 57 minutes into the meeting that was only scheduled for an hour long, and I realized the person who sent it didn't put a reminder alert on there, so it never reminded me. So I just stayed in the zone. Anyway, so. <laughs> All that to say, um, I do rely a lot on um, electronic as mm -hmm. well as paper calendars. Uh, the other thing is when, when I was department chair, just uh, coaching. I had to coach some teachers. I was sort of young at that point. I was like in my 20s, early. Mid, well, I was in my mid-20s. Okay, that is young. <laughs> Can I just jump yes. in? That's not sort of. That is. so. Yes. You have that kind of responsibility. Absolutely. And so it was a little, it was a little nerve wracking. Sure. So I think the skills that really helped me uh, that I'm bringing into this position as executive director is the fact that you have to deal with so many different personalities. And when you're that young and you're dealing with people who have been there for 20 years and they mm. feel they should be the department chair. I had to deal, have hard conversations and, you know, deal with conflict. And so I'm able to bring that, um, that, that experience and how I refine my, my 
process of handling those hard conversations, I had to bring that into this position. So. There's never hard conversations in grant developments. Yeah. <laughs> and you never have to negotiate with people who have either been on the job longer than you or who outrank you in the organizational hierarchy. So I just, yeah. that never, ever, ever happens, y'all. That means it happens all the time. So those are incredible transferable skills. Uh, speaking of skills and tricky situations and all sorts of things, is there any way you could let our listeners know what a typical day on the job is for you, if that even exists? Um, an, an example. My best college try, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, not a typical day. Um, usually um, what I do in my drive into work, um, start thinking about all the things I need to, that, that didn't go on the previous day's to-do list, paper to-do list, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just start mapping out my day. However, as soon as I walk into the office, it usually changes. Um, management is different. I remember once somebody telling me one time, and, and it was a manager level person saying, I don't want to manage the people. I just want to write grants. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. And it's like, oh, I get it. (laughs) You have these plans to get things done, Um, you know, to to submit proposals, submit drafts, finish the attachments. And then there's the personnel part, that popular. So usually it's derailed with personnel or somebody else's grand emergency or your boss just saying, I want you to work on this. It's not really a grant, kind of an award, but I want you to work on this. Other so thing that brings in money, we're gonna put we're, we're gonna push that to, to the mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you gotta do it all because you write. And so whenever it comes to something that involves writing, including awards, it comes to you. Right. You know? I have had so. to write many an award application in my day as well. Yeah, they're like, oh, same thing. Like you just said, it involves writing. Amanda's good at that. You can do this. Exactly. <laughs> or, or talking points uh-huh. or even tricky emails. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But the, but the good thing I have to say about that, um, even though you're thinking because you really want to get this task done and like I said, check it off your list, it's okay to do those awards because you end up learning more. And, and I find there are a lot of conversations that take place in the district that I'm not privy to. And so when I get, so when the district gets the chance to brag on themselves, then they have to feed me the information. And it's amazing what I learned through that process. So I think I'm just being grumpy because I have a set plan and I want to stick to the plan. <laughs> you know? And they're not letting me stick to the plan to write an award, but I do value the experience. Way to well, see the positive. There you go. Well, I think too, like there's always an opportunity within your applic any grant application to brag on your organization to show why you have the ability to do the job. So it is nice to be able to say, well, hey, we won won this award, which means blah blah blah. So that that can be helpful too. So it works out. It works out. So after getting derailed. <laughs> on my typical day, um, you know, usually the, uh, I also go through my uh, grant, my grant list, my list mm-hmm. serves that come in. Um, I am I, I every month, every morning I receive the grant zone because I couldn't do daily because yeah. the grant zone is very active, which is really cool. But it just 
it, it becomes a lot if you get a daily digest. And, and so, so I wait until it comes the next day. Uh -huh. Yeah, um, individually, because I think that's originally how it was set up. And so those are very interesting because you learn a lot of cool things. Um, and, and, and then you look at who's answering, who's asking the questions and realize, okay, so I, I'm not the only one that doesn't know that. And right. a lot of people are seasoned grant writers, you know, that are asking mm -hmm. some of these questions. And so it makes you feel comfortable to ask your question. So love the grants out. Well, let me point out real quick, Olivia, for those who don't know, or for our listeners don't know what Grant Zone is, it's like an online forum for members of the Grant Professionals Association. So it's a great place to go and post any question, any issue that you have. And I mean, you're people are very kind in Grant Zone. Like every time I ask a question, I get answers back, usually within a day and some great information shared. So it's certainly a great learning tool, I'd say. And then some things that maybe you don't as you're not even thinking about, you're like, oh, that's a mm -hmm. really cool way to do that or mm -hmm. to present this or I didn't really know that. So that's the reason this happened. So it, it is, you're right, it is a very cool place to drop your questions. And then the National Grant Managers Association, um, they have a message board. It's not as active as GPAs, but it's starting to ramp up. So it's always interesting to look on that side because in my office, I have an, an additional grant writer as well as a, a compliance coordinator. Okay. So I always want to stay involved in what she's doing on her side. And she is, um, in fact, she's on the board of the of NGMA. So I go through um, those two listservs along with the Federal Register and grants.gov. Mm -hmm. Always looking to see what opportunities are out there coming from the federal government. And not all of them. And I look at the whole list because, I mean, we've applied for SAMHSA grants mm -hmm. and um, we've applied for Department of Justice grants. Mm -hmm. So we're not only looking at education um, to, to get our funding. Then um, it, it seems like, is there are there any minutes left in the day after all of that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually, you know, do the typical answering emails, sure. adding things to my list because I love to do this. <laughs> you know, back, I really love office supplies. I get excited over <gasps> office supplies, like new pens, yes. organization systems. Like, oh, I, I have like these folders. It's just, I love that. <laughs> every great professional I know. Is goes bananas for office supplies. So I it's think a it's thing. a prerequisite. You are not alone. You no. are. It, it crosses all kinds of grant writing. It crosses geographical boundaries. Everyone yes. has their. Yeah, I, it's weird. I mean, it okay. really is. And that's good to know because I really thought I'm just kind of odd. <laughs> well, no. maybe you may you may be. We cannot say we are not professionals, but you, we are also odd. You odd <laughs> with us. Mm -hmm. We're Good. odd together. So how what many odd mean? people would it take before it's okay? I think it's okay right now. I think, I think, it's, okay that point. To, I think it's okay to admit your passion for office supplies. I'd yes. like to just come out and say, it's okay. Be you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And so yeah. those office supplies drive my entire typical day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, lunch, maybe, maybe not. And then just continuing, you know, work, you know working sure. through that to-do list. So that's pretty much a typical day. With a little yeah. extra 
share. Well, and I'm curious. So you you do writing and management for your whole school system. How large is the Pasadena school system? Like how many students are you serving? Right now we're down a little bit. Um, we have 49,000 students. We typically run 55,000 mm-hmm. students. Okay. So, of course, we're not as large as um, our neighboring district, Houston ISD, with like 150,000 students. But um, we have about 8,000 employees. Wow. So, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're a large school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then what would you say are some of the biggest obstacles in securing uh, funding for your school district? Or does the money just fall from the sky and you don't even have to worry about it? <laughs> oh, I wish. I, wish. I mean... <laughs> This year, we have had some opportunities um, due to COVID and Mm -hmm. due to all of the uh, funding from the federal government for COVID relief, Um, but they're not typical. And so many people think that schools have all the money that they need. And I think it was interesting during this COVID piece, I think the foundations realized schools don't have everything. You know, people hear federal funding, they get federal funding, so oh, they're good. So a lot of foundations would not fund school districts. But um, during COVID, I think their eyes were open because um, we was, there were a lot of opportunities and we didn't receive all of them, but there were a lot of opportunities where school districts were able to apply to foundations, local foundations, like they pooled their money together because they were hearing about, you know, the, the need for computers because these kiddos are at home. Because mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is to keep in mind, this is in Texas. This was our first year, full year back since the pandemic. So like last year, kids had options. They can either come in person or they right. could do virtual. So this was our first full year. So close to the beginning of the pandemic, um, they, since they were so many kids were virtual, we needed computers and, you know, and how does that look? And, you know, how do we retain staff? The staff is exhausted. So, um, I, so I think that's an obstacle is changing that perception and making people understand that it's not just a COVID thing. And we still have needs and yeah. the needs are, are going to increase because of the pandemic. Um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, another thing is that a lot of, of the federal funding goes directly to the state. Right. And so that can be problematic because the state will um, receive the money and then they d- decide where it goes. So you're at their mercy to see where they're going to put the money. And you're hoping, okay, maybe they'll put it in after school. And if they put it in after school, they're going to hold some of it back so they can do later comp- competitions. Or are they going to truly fund double the number of after school programs through this grant? Or are they going to put a lot of money? Um, some money is only for charter schools. Some is for public schools. Mm-hmm. So with the money coming to the, uh, to, coming to the states, you're at their mercy. Yeah. Well, and I would think, I've never worked for a school district, but... I think it it would be hard not to feel the pressure of, oh my gosh, if I can't bring this money in, all these kids are not getting what they need. And I'm, you know, so that's, I'm sure that's going to weigh on you as part of the, the struggle of your job of, I've got to teach these children. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is um, because we have a lot of uh, learning loss right now. So sure. like, they need it. I need to bring in money to help the babies. Yeah. Oh. 
Well, speaking of bringing in the money to help the babies, you mentioned in addition to the education department at the federal level, earlier on you were mentioning SAMHSA, Department of Justice, um, federal grant applications. And um, if you've never done one before, they're super complex, most of them. And some of them, particularly um, education department um, applications, can can allow up to 100 pages of narrative which is a lot, even if it is double space, that's still a lot. Just just for starters, that's not including all the attachments and whatnot. Can you talk us through your process for developing, writing, and submitting such large-scale proposals? I'm imagining it includes office supplies, but I just want to hear it from you. <laughs> First office supplies. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, first, uh, I have a rule of reading through the request for proposals three times. Once to get a, once to get an understanding of the opportunity. Um, second, to highlight any key areas of concern um, that we may want to just highlight, because one, in our role, we make suggestions, but we're not the actual decision makers in our department. Because ultimately, once we write the grant in pass it off, we're on to the next grant. So we need yeah. to buy in from the stakeholders around the district, the different departments or the different campuses. And so um, and so we present, we make sure we read the request for a proposal um, to highlight any areas that they need to be aware of, that they might, you know, that might be deal breakers for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the third read is to make sure you, again, you truly understand what the intent of the funder is so that you can present it and explain it to, of course, these stakeholders, the, the, the departments and the uh, campuses. And then uh, next we do something that I love, which is dream with the team. And so you, you just sit there and you think, okay, what project do we have that could possibly fit this funder's purpose and then, we, and then I tell them, dream big. And so they're just pulling stuff out of the air. And it's, you know, and I'm, and some of it you're thinking, not going to work, not going to work. <laughs> but you, it's the, the energy that they have as you see them dream and get excited about the possibilities of the funding is what you kind of want to harness and you want to keep that all the way to after the grant is awarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, uh, that, so we do have a meeting. We just kind of talk about what might what may fit, and then we set a timeline. We set this timeline to make sure that no deadline is ever missed and no attachment forgotten. Because, as you said, federal uh, applications are very complex. I mean, you have so many little things, like you have to get this signed, and you have to make sure that you have this inserted, and it's on top of the narrative pieces. And you know, the abstract has to be uh, uploaded separately from the actual project narrative, apart from the budget narrative. I mean, they're all loaded in different places. And so uh, you just want a timeline so you can, because again, it gives you your own personal checklist. <laughs> and so not only do you have a checklist, but everybody on the, on the writing team has a checklist. And then, uh, and then we, then I make sure that we involve the team, so they don't get to just be a part of the dream with my, you know, the dream with my team piece. They actually are part of the writing because they have the ideas, and so we ask them to 
to literally just bullet the information. Okay, so we've talked about the project, you know the details. Okay, so let's bullet these details so that we can look at it. And we're doing this while also at the same time building a budget. It's not, you know, let's just write this narrative and then build a budget later. Let's build it together so that we can talk about it and we can see what pieces are missing and how it all fits because we want to make sure it, the, it doesn't, the narrative doesn't show as if we're just trying to pad the budget. You know, what do we really need? And, and one of the things that we're, we're working on doing, and we're doing better over the past year or two, um, I guess a result of the pandemic, is working in either Google Docs or Microsoft Online so that uh, they can easily edit and we can edit and we still have the functionality of Microsoft Word um, and Microsoft Excel. And then uh, they can, again, they can work in it with ease and they can see what other people are saying so that if they, if somebody adds something, another person can come in and say, wait, 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 we need to talk about that. We don't necessarily want to add that. And we stick to the top timeline. We continue to stick to the timeline so that while they're revising after we give them a draft and then um, they are reviewing it, then we go and we start working on the attachments. So we're just, we're constantly, something is constantly going on with the federal grant. So it's good to have multiple people, um, people that are in smaller shops, because not everybody has a team like I have at, um, um, at a school district, not all school districts have it. I just think, wow, that means they don't work on anything but that grant because they have to manage that timeline and all the pieces by themselves. So I'm very grateful that our district um, allows me to have post-award and an additional pre-award per person to help with the process. Nice. Then we submit and celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. <laughs> Isn't that the best feeling when you push the submit? I mean, any grant, but especially when I've worked on huge federal proposals, it's almost like the weight of the world has been lifted off your shoulders once you, like... <laughs> Yes. Hit that submit. I'm a little, you know, it's funny because I, I get a little nervous hitting it, even, you know, this far into the game. I still get a little nervous because you just think, okay, did I spell that word right? Okay, I know I went back and changed this. Did I, did I attach the right version of yes. it? Yes. But then at some point, I talk myself down to say, it is what it is. Press the button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then once I press the button, then it's like, okay, the weight of the world has been lifted. But I do have a moment of a little nervousness. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, and I want to go back to, I find it so fascinating that you willingly read that RFP three times through. Because if you have never read a request for proposal from a federal funder, first of all, let me just say they're usually at least 100 pages long, if not longer. So, no. Give or take, right? So so it's a lot of stuff you're reading. It's the most dry and boring reading I think you can find on the planet, right? Yeah. And I'm doing good to read it through once and catching everything. And I have no desire. I mean, I I probably end up reading it multiple times because you're constantly going back to it and going, okay, what did, what did that section say? Let me go back and read it again. But the fact that you sit and read it through three times and look for different things, that's actually pretty smart. But... It also sounds really painful to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there are times that, you know, my head almost hits the desk. But, yeah. I, you know, if it does hit, I wake up and, and refresh. <laughs> Just keep going. There you go. <laughs> A little concussed, but ready to roll. It's okay. Fine. That's good. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's definitely not a fun read. But, no. 
but it's, it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Anything in their process, Kimberly, that stuck out to you? Mine was, she had me, I read the RFP three times. <laughs> I, I don't know that I always read it three times, but I know I read it more than once within the first <clears throat> few days of like, hey, we're going to move forward with it because it just, I think there's the skimming to go, dear God, how much paper do they want? And then there's the, oh, okay, here's where this goes and that goes, and here are the things that are missing. And then there's the read-through where it's like, and here's what you, the team or the client, this is what you do, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it, it it helps. And I, even though it's not very exciting reading, at least it's there. And so I try to just keep that mindset, at least they're providing it. Because oh, for a lot yeah. of private funders, there's just a, send us a letter, and your 501c3 letter. And then it's just like, you just kind of have to make it up and not yeah. make it up. Obviously, you want to, you got your descriptions and your program and you, you follow a, a pattern of it. But it, there, there's the specificity, while it can be annoying, is also very, very informative. So it's it would be right. hard to say that you did not know what the grant entailed if, right. you know, having read that. So, yeah. I so I I also like the whole idea of the 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 dream team the dreaming dream with the team so that's your team and also you've got your content your subject matter experts coming in right. you have do you have finance people coming in at that point No I don't have the finance people it's just mainly the the content Yeah just to make sure because I I think that's so helpful I think sometimes program folks they're going to dream so big and so out there that you're you're going to be like that's great that will never work but by the same token they they know exactly what's going on so sometimes it's a matter of scaling the program Mm -hmm. uh, back but you won't know you won't know unless you ask those important questions of the people you're trying to work with so it makes me go ahead no no I was just going to say, and I think the great thing about having the conversations is what you just said the scaled down piece so Mm -hmm. They dream big and then reality hits and sets in and they start thinking about sustainability and where's the money going to come from and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But they're able to scale down so that even if they aren't grant funded, they may be able to somehow pull this off in the future. We've had that happen. We applied for a race to the top grant twice. The second time we got to, we made it to the finals, but we didn't get the final award and race to the top grants were like $40 million. They were huge. They were mm-hmm. some of those hundred page narratives um, to really transform and do education differently. And it, it, the process was painful, <laughs> but it was, it, it was a great time to see our district say, what personalized learning where there's some algorithm because our idea was to have this personalized learning where they have an algorithm that kind of tells you where the kid is and and there's a line that moves and lets the kids work at their own pace instead of the traditional system of everybody needs to do this right now and if you don't learn it right now then you have to come to tutorials and all this we all have to be together and then we can move to the next uh concept and so but through that process, they were like, no, no, no. To And now we're, I think that was, that, that should have been about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, now we're 10 years later. And we have exactly what they were scared of. 
back then. Yeah, but it was, but they, we truly believe they would have never had those conversations. They would, they would have never gotten to that point if they did not have the dream with the team piece to really get comfortable. And it took a few, it took a few years, but now we have personalized learning in all of our, I want to say all of our elementaries and middles and intermediate schools. So, and it has its own department with its own people. So that scaled down approach to the big dream is still helpful Mm -hmm. for the future. Nice. So we've talked a little bit about federal grant proposals. Um, Do you have, if you broke out your crystal ball, any idea what kind of changes are going to come down the pike for K-12 federal funding in the coming years? Well, um, maybe not changes right right now. I think first, let me start with continue. I think that we're going to continue to see funding focused on the learning and enrollment loss. Like I said, districts across the um, nation are losing students. Um, Students are staying at home. They're doing homeschool. They're doing a lot of different options rather than coming to public school um, due to COVID-19. And so when you don't have students, that means your budget decreases and you have to make all these budget decisions that um, may not work favorably for everybody. And so I think there's going to be funding to try to try to get those kids um, back in school, as well as um, it, it close those gaps. We have a lot of gaps. Kids were out of school for a year, year and a half. Yeah. I and mean, you really think about when the pandemic hit and we went on lockdown in March 2020 and most states finished the school year at home. Nobody mm-hmm. went back to the buildings. And then you had the following year, 2021, where you had the option to come or not come back. So, again, kids aren't in the buildings. And when kids aren't in the buildings, they don't have the social emotional um, bandwidth to deal with things. Um, they don't have the learning, the learning opportunities that they would normally have, you know, the manipulatives where they put their hands on things yeah. and math or science, you mm-hmm. know, you don't have your labs. So I think, so there is a lot of learning loss that we are trying to deal with right now. So I think funding is going to continue to flow that way. I think it's going to continue to flow with social emotional as far as, as well as other mental health. Um, with staff, students, and families, there are still people reeling from the pandemic. I mean, so I mean, I, I think I've changed. Yeah. To the pandemic, how I think, what, you know, my my boundaries, um, and you know, and if you look at the news, there's a lot going on. So, a lot of it has to do with the frustration of what people are still feeling with this pandemic. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of funding to kind of, to try to address that. For example, uh, I was talking to somebody, and again talking about you know kids not being in school. Uh, we did receive an autism grant, and there were there are about ten autistic kindergartners, um, and they said they have been challenging all year. And the challenges they truly believe is because they weren't in school last year. Yeah. Um, you know, in a pre-K program or something. So. We, uh, we think there's going to continue funding that way. Okay. Um, I think funding is going to start, we're going to start seeing more funding for staff retention because we have a yeah. shortage of teachers. Um, in fact, we, not only do we have a shortage of teachers um, who are retiring, who are just burned out because you've had to change systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. 
You have to wipe down tables. Um, whenever there's a peak in the cases, you have to wipe down tables and wipe this down, and you gotta teach. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and you know, just just the stresses of again this pandemic. Uh, I think more money is also going to go into the, uh, developing pathways for teachers to grow in their career. Mm -hmm. So as a way to keep them here. So you might see a teacher residency program um, where you have paraprofessionals that can move into the teacher role. Um, so again, you're keeping them in education. Yeah. Uh, you're growing from within. Also um, leadership, you know, opportunities, whether it's, uh, you know, an instructional coach or um, maybe a principal just to grow the educators you do have and to keep them in the district, give them those opportunities um, instead of having nowhere for them to move. So I think that, I think that's where we're gonna see a lot of money flow because I mean, we're even having problems uh, attracting substitute teachers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot. Um, well, I think that's happening everywhere. In fact, my sister, she's been a stay-at-home mom for a while, and she just decided to start subbing this year because her daughter's schools kind of put out an SOS. And they're even, they not only are they having trouble with subs, but they have trouble finding them, especially on Mondays and Fridays. Mm -hmm. So they upped the pay on those two days. So my sister's like, I'm working every Monday and Friday. <laughs> yeah. Wrong so, with that. Nope. And I think another thing that's difficult, going back to the social-emotional health mm -hmm. of these kiddos, a lot of subs are, and teachers are dealing with kids that are coming from, again, I know y'all are trying to be saying it, the pandemic, and they're just, they're harder to deal with. Yeah. And so nobody wants to, go, I mean, because I, I think they, if I remember correctly, pre-pandemic, we didn't have as many issues. I mean, we probably had a few issues with, with subs and teachers. Um, I mean, kids are going to be kids, but it seems like that has increase the number of discipline problems. Well, I mean, think about when we're stressed and we don't understand what's going on. As adults, we have our own ways of lashing out too. And for kids, it's usually physical and verbal misbehavior just because mm -hmm. that's what they know because they're kids. So, yep. It's, and no, we're not tired of hearing you say pandemic because that's yeah. the reality of what we're living in. And we need to talk about it and be honest about these are the struggles still two years later. And yep. for every person who's like, oh, it's all good, it's over, I have to respectfully disagree. And I have to say that not only is it not over in education, it is not over in our healthcare system. And mm. there are just going to be some long-term effects. I know we're all tired, but that doesn't mean something's going to go away just because you're tired of it. Right because now. then Atlanta traffic would have been eliminated for me <laughs> forever ago, <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. So, just saying. Now, yeah. so Olivia, we we asked you first to like to look forward, and now we're gonna ask you to go back in time. So I have to do that thing, okay? Okay. Back in time. What two pieces of advice would you give yourself as a beginning grant professional if you could just go back and tell yourself these two things? What would they be? The first one is find another grant pro that you trust. Okay. I don't know if it needs to be as organized as a mentorship. It may evolve into a mentorship, but somebody that you can go to that you can say, okay, so how do you do a logic model? I know I should know, 
but how do I do a logic model? And they will tell you, tell, show you how to do how to do it, give you the resources without thinking, oh man, what a loser. <laughs> you know, you, you know. Oh, yeah. and, oh, and well, you do. I love how you say it's someone you trust because you do. You're kind of being vulnerable. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And you don't want them to make fun of you. You want them to teach you. <laughs> exactly. Which is part of the reason why I have no problem on the grand zone when people post anonymously. Uh-huh. You know, okay. Because it's like they're still getting their question answered. But, you know, am I supposed to know this? I mean, it, it, it's, it, it allows them to get what they need without being too vulnerable but i think everybody should have at least one person that mm-hmm. they can that's their go-to person okay. yeah you know um because I, I think that would have i had somebody that was in that spot but shortly after I, I was placed in my position as executive director um she moved on she moved on so i but i mean but we still we would still talk but mm-hmm. it was a little bit harder because she was learning her new role as well um, but yeah, it, it would have, yeah, it, I, I just think that's so important to have somebody you trust. And the other thing is to don't beat yourself over criticism. Okay. Because I think if you learn early not to beat yourself over the criticism of your writing, of not receiving a grant award, then, I mean, it, it never makes it totally easy to receive a denial letter, but you're much better positioned to say, okay, and, and, and have, and look at the feedback with open eyes, willing to grow. Mm-hmm. But you're so caught up in, oh, I must be a bad writer. Oh, they said it was terrible. Oh, you, you know, all these other negative self-talk things mm-hmm. that some people, well, I did. I'm not, I don't know what y'all did. I might be on the island by myself, but what I did, <laughs> been there. I did a whole lot of time with when if I had learned early, criticism is okay. Accept the criticism and learn from it. And don't spend the energy feeling sorry for yourself. Learn from the criticism. You know, and because not everybody's criticism is is valid sometimes, but you gotta go at it with an open mind saying, how can I grow from this? Yeah. Because all I was going to do is make you a better writer. So. Well, and I always love to point out too, it's amazing. Like I'll, I'll teach like a intro to grant writing class and be teaching different things. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you've been doing this a long time. You don't get to, you never get denied. I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I've been doing this 20 years and I still get denial letters because there's never enough funding to go around for the need that exists. And sometimes it's about the connections people have that for whatever reason, my organization just hasn't gotten there yet or, you know, and sometimes it is because I didn't answer the question the right way. And then that's on me, but a denial letter is not always on me. Sometimes I put together the best proposal possible for my org, but for reasons out of my control, it does get denied. So you're, uh, that's a great point. I think people who say they never get, if people say they never, ever, ever get denied, I don't, Either you are not being forthcoming with the truth or maybe you are not going after new funding. It's very possible to be maybe a grant writer where maybe it's like I'm just a a state program. We're not even going to name where it could be where you Mm -hmm. get consistent funding year after year. And basically Mm -hmm. you're just checking the same box and doing that. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And if that's where you are, okay. But if you never get 
denied and you're out trying their new programs, new funders, funders change focus areas. I just, I, that just raises the little cloud of suspicion. I'm like, really? Really? I agree. I agree. And you know, there's so much, and there's, there's value in a denial. Mm-hmm. Can, a very wise person that I that I just love to pieces says, "Don't waste the pain." So if something is painful, um, learn from it. But yeah. and, and then sense. that's that's the best use of that instead of oh we didn't get the grant. Could have been that your program the program wasn't as strong because the most beautiful writing in the world can't disguise if you don't have objectives that are up to snuff or you don't have an evaluation plan or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know? That's so, true. yeah, but that's just like, don't, don't waste it. The pain learn from it, you yes. know, that's so. I like that. Great that. pieces of advice though, Olivia. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the mentoring, and then don't, don't self-talk yourself out of this. Yeah. Just grants great things. Yeah. Well, I like that you say it doesn't have to be a formal mentoring process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And I think you could have more than one person. You may have mm-hmm. hey, this friend that's really good at this and this person that's better at this. And to have people that, that I will say that changed my career trajectory tremendously once I met other grant professionals that I could lean on for support and advice because it's real lonely before you know them. And it's it's very insulating when you don't have anybody to go to. So. Right. So if you're lonely out there, just know that we're here for you on this little old podcast. We are are. here, not by (laughs) yourself. Well, thanks for joining us today, Olivia. It was great to have you on our show. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was good talking K through 12 and just talking office supplies. Office supplies. Nothing wrong with well, a love for office supplies. In line with the new word of the podcast, I'm glappy. We all love office supplies so much. I'm glappy too. Oh the gla- yeah. I can feel the glappiness. <laughs> That's There's a song in there somewhere. Thank you again so much for taking the time. I, I hope you can cross this off your list now that we're done with the interview. Yeah. You're like, check. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just did it in my calendar. I did. Thank you. I love it. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thanks, Olivia. Thanks. All right. Thank y'all. Thanks so much for listening. You know, your continued support is the reason we are back from season five. I mean, we like each other and everything, but it's <laughs> we're, we're here doing the podcast. We can talk without a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but you keep us coming back. So we really appreciate that. We really do. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts, if that is where you're getting your podcast fix. Um, or if you're listening to us on Spotify, follow and share the show with your friends. It just really helps grant and fundraising professionals just like you find us and this wonderful growing community. Thank you again to our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so very honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you tune in for our next episode. We are going to be sharing a little grant how-to. We're talking about how to write goals and objectives in your grant proposal. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. (laughs) We'll see you then. Bye.